Hello and welcome to episode number two of Islington Mill and a new podcast series from the people who brought you Islington Mill is Queer about the cultural and community life and aspects of one of the UK's most beloved artist-led creative centres, Salford's very own Islington Mill. My name is The Nihilist. I will be your guide through the next almost an hour. Um, For episode number two of Islington Mill and this is a direct follow-on from episode number one, which went out last month, in which I interviewed one-to-one Bill Campbell the founder and co-owner of Islington Mill, about his vision for the near future of what's happening with this place as the building work, which has been going on for hmm, almost a year now, nears its completion. That means that certain aspects of Islington Mill are going to be opened up more to the public and certain things that were there before are going to change but are definitely going to improve. That's the plan anyway. Modelling Queer Utopias is a specific project that was started by Bill Campbell and it does have, at the moment, a finite end date. But it also includes the involvement of three other members of Islington Mill's creative board, two of which that I have previously interviewed on the Islington Mill is Queer podcast, namely Bill's partner in both life and work, Morris Carlin, the visual artist Rachel Goodyear, and finally Rivka Rubin, who I haven't managed to do a one-to-one interview with yet, but that is going to be coming up in uh, Islington Mill and number three. Sitting down with all four members of Islington Mill's creative board was a great experience, but also something that I've not done on this podcast before, which has usually been a one-to-one format. So you can expect some background hum and noise, and of course the ongoing construction work chatter in the background of Islington Mill in this podcast. But we are going to be doing more of these regular check-ins with the creative board of Islington Mill and the ongoing Modelling Queer Utopias project over the coming year or so to see how that's going on. And I would say at this point, if you haven't listened to episode one, listen to it first before you listen to this because it will make a lot more sense. In episode one, Bill talked about the five pillars of modeling queer utopia but on this episode we do talk about the five pillars but we also expand it to the more general five elements of what Islington Mill stands for and what it is striving to be in the wider community in general. So with that said I'm going to hand myself back to myself and the four members of Islington Mill's creative board for Islington Mill and number two modeling queer utopias part two. Hello and welcome to episode two of Islington Mill and I'm here with four people today and I'm going to get you all to introduce yourselves one by one. I'll start with just for context, three of these people have already been featured on Islington Mill podcast before and we have a brand new special guest who will be introducing herself in a minute but I'm going to start with you, Mari. Who are you? I've just said your name but you can say it again. Yes, so hello, uh, I'm Mari. Uh, Mori Carlin, and I'm one of the uh, four co-artistic directors of the mill, okay. uh, and we're all here today. Okay. And you are? I'm Bill Campbell. I'm also a co-artistic director of Islington <laughs> Mill. I'm Rachel Goodyear. I'm an artist and also a co-artistic director of Islington Mill. <laughs> 
and also co-artistic director, I'm Rivka Rubin. Hi, and welcome Rivka to the podcast. You're so far, you're a podcast virgin, but we'll be breaking you in with it. So. <laughs> Thank you. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you all collectively, even though you've kind of answered it individually as you were speaking there, is how do you describe yourselves as four people? What are your collect what is your collective role at Islington Mill? So we so we are the the co artistic directors. Co artistic um, directors, and our our role um, is in setting the uh, the vision mm-hmm. for the mill, um, and working with um, the community um, and or and the the team to enact that, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, that the, the actual work um, it, it, it varies a lot and currently because we're, we're rebuilding the building okay. um, uh, the, the jobs that we're actually doing are um, uh, have shifted quite a bit so I think today we want to sort of talk about what comes next okay but you might want to add to want to add to that I could add yeah. a little bit I think we bring the long-term heritage of the building so we bring our origins and I think we spend our time noticing and checking in with where we are Mm -hmm. and where we want to go you're very present with the mill we try to be yeah so we we are all present in different ways Mm -hmm. and at different times and when we're here we're kind of noticing what's going on who's doing what how it feels to be here and checking in as to is that where we want to be going and where would we like to go next? So making adjustments. Okay. Perhaps. And I'd, I'd add to that as well, is that we um, that we, we are present in different ways and at different times, sometimes all together, um, sometimes individually, but I think also from slightly different perspectives as well. So we have the, the real subtle differences from our experiences here, even if we're here at the same time. Mm-hmm. And adding to that, mm-hmm. we also take care of how we work and how we're being together and that we is beyond the four we okay it's the whole team we and the people who come into contact with us Mm -hmm. so it's the quality of being and working okay could you expand on that a bit for me how what what's the practical application of that so practical application is the way we've already started this conversation where we add to okay yeah so a thought appears, an idea comes around, an issue, a problem, or become opportunities to do more with it, to add on, to explore, to discover, okay. to find out different ways of doing things that are healthier okay. and happier for people okay. to engage in their daily waking life. Just for clarity, um, when you talk about the community, who exactly are you talking about? Just for complete clarity for the listenership as well. We're talking about um, uh, initially the people who um, have studios here, such mm-hmm. as yourself. So there's so there's that community, but then there's a, an extended community of people who come to events here, um, who um, in, engage, you know, who have been here in the past on residencies or to take part in things, and that can be you know, people from all over the world by now. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
And I'd add to that the community is potentially anyone who chooses to be engaging, to, to engage with us, including partners okay. or networks. Cool. Local, national, international. Okay, yeah. And I would add to that is also part of our role as, a, as well as kind of collaborating together. We also go out and represent okay. this organisation, our, our role and our community. And mm. while doing that, that's how we're often forming new partnerships with other places and other people. Mm. It's part of that noticing or looking out for. Or, okay. And we're not the only ones that do that, but it is kind of a crucial part of our role. Right. I'll, I'll direct this to the four of you for the co-artistic directors as a whole, but Mari, you did bring this up when um, you were speaking earlier. You said that the role, your roles as co-artistic directors are changing at the moment. Mm -hmm. In what capacity? How are they changing? Well, when, when um, I started working at the mill, um, we were working in a very... Um, DIY kind of um, artist-led mm -hmm. way where we would um, come up with projects that we wanted to do. Um, all we would do is just check if the space was available and we would make something happen and quickly, mm. um, you know, with, with the help of others and, and things would happen in a spontaneous, quick DIY way. Um, and, you know, I'd say that style of work has characterized the first sort of 20 years of the mill, really. Mm. Um, uh, and over that time, we've, um, we've started, we've embarked upon this capital process in order to, um, you know, do some essential work to the building, mm. you know, to, in order for, to give the building a long-term future. So to make it accessible, um, to make it wind and water tight, Etc. So all of that work we have been doing really over the past 10 years, we started fundraising for that over the past 10 years. Um, 10 years ago, we started fundraising for it. We're now coming to the end of that work. Um, and it's meant that we've, um, uh, it, it's taken us, I think, away from that core purpose and into, you know, dealing with like architects and project managers and fundraisers and all of the, all of the things that 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 entails, which is quite far outside of um, our skill sets, I would say, um, and and quite far from you know what we were doing. Mm. So 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 that's how the role has evolved. Um, uh, but we're coming to the end of that now, and we're now planning the future. Anyone would like to add to that? Yeah, um, I think because um, the the role co-artistic director, that kind of that came out as a little bit of a in this period of time as we get as we look at organisational structures and as we're like um, becoming a little bit more formalised. Maybe that's a role that came out that seemed to be um, some one of the most understandable for others is like what our role is but I would say that our version of a artistic director and the way that we work is maybe different to what a um, a traditional like artistic director might be so mm. we've so we've got this history of um, like we're leading as artists and leading with the DIY and so I think when we talk about projects as well I mean some of those things that we you know so that we've done in the past some of them didn't even start off as a design, well, a few of them would have started off as a design project. Many of them would have started off as a 
collaborating or even a conversation and then you, know, you might be just having a conversation in the morning then by the afternoon you're starting to transform a room into something else or you're starting to have a jam with someone and making some music and I think that's that's the culture that we're looking at getting back to but with that lived history that we have it's just like I think one of our roles and one of I think one of the roles I see that we have is is actually recognising what were those circumstances and what were those nuances that actually made room for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Rivka, you have a different take on it because you've come into this while we've been mm. doing this building well, work. Yes, how exciting, isn't it, yeah. to come into dealing with lawyers and signing papers and finding new board members and so on. And I wanted to say, actually, as it was quite clearly, the directing word in there is about to where what is the kind okay. of future it's a direction mm-hmm. rather than that than a directing of people mm-hmm. okay um Mari, you mentioned earlier but this is again to everyone about the future in episode one of islington milan i discussed with you bill about your project modeling queer utopias mm-hmm. and this conversation is to follow on from that conversation to talk about what is the direction of Islington Mill? Where is it being directed to, um, both practically and theoretically? Where What's happening with that then? Well, as Maurice said earlier, we are rebuilding the building. Yes. So that's um, very practical. So that's very practical. Yeah. But we are coming to the end of that. We're, the dates are getting moved, but we're in, the, we're in June now. We're looking at August and then we're looking at October, November. So our focus at the moment is about rebuilding the culture of the space. Okay. And that's what we've discussed on it today and on the yeah. last days. And, and um, you know, we've had the pandemic and mm-hmm. then we've also been in building work. So we, the, the, the building has remained open and people have continued to work here in their studios. But all of the public events have largely kind of mm. um, been paused. There's some things have happened but not to the extent of of what we we, we were doing, you know, five ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think that ability with through both uh, the pandemic and um, through the that we've a lot of the spaces are being renovated. That um, I think that's where the the limitation on the ways that people could come together and for spontaneity to happen. Mm. I think that was really very very fragmented, especially through the pandemic. So it's also it is it's rebuilding mm-hmm. up from that as well. Picking up on the spontaneity, what we would like to create again, and even more so, is where there is. How do you call it? Planned for spontaneity. So it's not that the spontaneity is planned, but you're always ready for spontaneity because mm-hmm. that is at the heart of it, mm. which is quite different and almost the opposite of uh, planning a project that happens in 18 months' time, mm-hmm. applying for money and then delivering it mm. with the pandemic in between as well. Yeah. So You've kind of touched on this, but I'm going to press because I'd like more um, fuller answer. But what... Could you sum up what the ethos of Islington Mill was pre-pandemic, pre-building, that you're now renegotiating? Could you sum that up in, well, I mean, you can you can describe it, but, you know, in a neat phrase or, you know, a little paragraph, maybe. <laughs> I could have a go at, like, we, the term artist-led is often used, but the, the term leadership is a questionable 
work. Mm. I think maybe what we might mean in this instance around direction or leadership is around creating the conditions, the circumstances, the spaces, the holding that allows for artists and the community to thrive as opposed to directing a specific vision. Okay. So it's about holding, creating a space that is able to be held healthily. Mm-hmm. It hasn't always been healthily and it hasn't always <laughs> been safe because of the building and what yeah. have you. So it's enough of a structure to allow, as Rivka was just saying, for spontaneity, artistic uh, challenge, experimentation, mm-hmm. practice involves failure, testing, trying quickly, mm. it not working, it not being predefined, practice. Yeah, I like to think of it as um, creating conditions where there's freedom to fail. Hmm. Oh, mm. there you go. <laughs> 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 or maybe just what is freedom. And this, yeah. yeah. And, and, and placing an emphasis on how things happen as, as well as what happens. So that we're, I think we're, we're always thinking about, you know, is there a way that this, this, that this can happen in a way that is kinder, healthier, more accessible, mm-hmm. um, more interesting, radical, etc. Mm. Um, that, that, that's certainly been part of the ethos of the mill up until now, and that's something we want to bring back. And that those conditions are those where um, people can do testing, testing of different ways of being with one another, of living, of distribution of things, mm. wealth, ownership, ideas, possibilities, and that's why, in a way, the word failure almost want to lose. Actually, I, I, I like the and celebration of failure, though. So I love that yeah. failure can become a really positive thing. Mm. <laughs> and for me, the failure is the opposite of success. So what would happen if we didn't have either success or failure and things happen? And they will reach, but they will touch, and they will... And, you know, maybe to, just to give some examples, mm-hmm. um, you know, when we're talking about how doing things differently... Um, uh, up until the pandemic, we had a free art school at the mill that mm-hmm. was formed 12 years ago, 2007. Um, that was a response to the introduction of tuition fees and with the question, could a group of students um, co-organize their own education, teach each other and find the, find the, the teaching that they want? And could all of that happen for free? So it's that kind of thinking mm-hmm. that we get excited about yeah can I uh, yeah um, I mean I think this this is it at the heart of it we have a lot of learning which you know it's like, I mean that's where the art academy came from so how you know that actually like learning together and learning from each other but I think um, I think with uh, with the mill and also it's like where we are at present it's um you know we've we're, we're drawing upon lived history and we want to continue to have to be like to be developing it through living it which is, mm. it's like, I guess, what we also mean by DIY practice or artist practice that you're, that we're learning, we're learning through living it and we're learning through actually like being in it. And I think this is when I'm talking about that lived history as well, I'm not talking about just like us in this room, it's like the lived history of, like, of everyone that's kind of made the mill what it is. And, um, and that's so many different experiences and so many different interactions. And so, um, I mean, I always think of it as like as someone who's been here for quite a while. That it's that's that's one of my, that's one of my uh, biggest resources at the moment is just remembering 
you know, remembering interactions, remembering when that conversation might have might have happened, at what you know, what corner of the courtyard was it, what time mm. of the year, you know, all of those little things. And so I think it's that, um, yeah, that active learning. I think. Mm. And adding to that, the um, the experiences that the expertise is. So I think I'm just noticing something that we do, which is meeting others and each other with expertises and the expertises grow i've learned a huge amount that i didn't know before which includes the legal side and everything whilst being here so that's been an opportunity and we meet each other and we meet others with expertises rather than as experts mm -hmm. so we don't take hierarchical positions we really aim not to take hierarchical positions in relation to anything and anyone including our partners. Mm -hmm. So one of the practices is to meet everybody, funding partners, members of the team, members of the community, studio holders, visitors, known and unknown in exactly the same way mm -hmm. of interest. And, and, I th and I think it's important to say as well that we, that we want to take part mm. with others um, you know, and we, we want to be part of that creative process, not just to stand on the edges of it and kind of cor corral it, corral it, whatever corral it, but the word you used before, corral, <laughs> corral. <laughs> we don't want to be on the edges corral, and we want to be in the room with with people taking part. Mm -hmm. um, and and, and I, I feel like that's an important, important part of it. And that hasn't always been possible in the past, but sometimes we have found ourselves... Um, you know, on the edges of it and not feeling very creative. So that's something we're kind of keeping in mind. Mm -hmm. Well, it certainly sounds like there's a much more practical aspect to what you're doing now in <clears throat> in relation to that. Um, how much harder are you finding it now to do it now that we're entering into this new phase of Islington Mill, post-pandemic, coming towards the end of the building? Um, you've had all this money injected into the organisation, which presumably comes with monitoring of what the organisation is doing and what it's up to, is, are you finding it harder than it was before? Presumably, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Without wanting to lead the conversation anywhere. Well, I mean, I think, I think we're, we're just embarking on actually, because once, once the building is finished and uh, and yeah, it's like once once that scaffolding comes down, it's like and even where we're at now. I think we're because we're going into this next phase. I think it is. It's like we we're 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 relearning. I think it's like we're rediscovering. It's just like how you know. It's like how would we love to work? How have we loved to work in the past? So at the moment, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say it's harder. I think that we are we're re, we're we're learning how to do that in this this next phase. And at the point. You know, to say the point at which we're at now, to say, you know, personally, because it's like we're all different people as well to who we were a number of years ago. But we've also learned all of those things that have maybe made us feel that we were maybe on the sidelines or facilitating before that. Um, mm. So I'd say that we're say maybe difficult to tell at the moment because mm. we've not mm. quite launched back in there in the way that we really want to. I would say that the hardest bit was getting the money and getting the building okay. work on site okay. that does involve bureaucracies and structures that we were not part of our mm. artist practice skill set mm -hmm. legal papers long-term contracts lasting 25 years large amounts of money mm -hmm. were things that we've not experienced directly before mm -hmm. so getting to that stage of getting 
those monies and those contracts in place was what felt like the biggest stretch and where I think most of us felt our least comfortable. And now coming to the end, we are actively wanting to go back to our roots to move away from that. Mm. Um, those are the structures that keep the you know the roof is on now. Yeah. The legal situation is done now. Mm -hmm. We're wanting to avoid going back into being an organisation that's reliant on that funding. So when you said in injection of money, mm -hmm. the ninety percent of that, most of that, was into the building. Yeah. And we've always been a very agile organisation, albeit revenue tight or look. We, we, we've never been a massively funded organisation in terms of our day-to-day -day revenue. Mm -hmm. So it does put a lot of... Uh, we, we prefer it that way yeah. because we don't want to be in bureaucracy. I see this as the freedom that we're looking to facilitate yeah. for everybody, including us, mm -hmm. to come free from pressure. Yeah. So I've just picked up on the word monitoring. Mm -hmm. And I think we want to really have an environment in which neither we are monitoring mm. anybody or are being monitored whilst being extremely transparent. Yeah. Because we choose to be a transparent, not because mm -hmm. we're ticking some yes. whatever boxes and deliver things. So mm. I think to create that environment is looking at the quality as to what are, what are those elements mm. that facilitate people feeling free and just going back to the celebrating failure <laughs> bit where people can celebrate however something comes out because that takes away the fear of having to do something and being productive mm. so maybe talking also leaner simpler part of a degrowth movement rather than becoming bigger and more and you know okay beautiful small yeah. mm. not large and cumbersome that's interesting mm. can i ask then i mean i might edit this question out if it's unsuitable but you said um to, you picked up on my use of the word monitoring and to say that you, for the future of the mill, you want to be transparent without the fear of being monitored. From my perspective, I assume that with, even though the cash went into the actual building itself, that there is some kind of monitoring or kind of, I don't know how to articulate this exactly, but like a value so that the people who have given you the money know that it's not ended up in your wardrobe, for instance, <laughs> or, yeah, for the people who can't see, Bill is wearing a brand new Versace football. We don't know where it's come from, but he says he found it somewhere. Um, no, but, the, you know, from my point of view, I don't know the exact details and the ins and outs of the situation, but I would assume that having money, public funded money that has come from Europe like that, does come with strings attached, does it though? Yes, mm -hmm. they are long-term strings. Mm -hmm. This building is now committed to being the artist studios that it always has been yeah. for the next 25 years on a 25-year lease. From me and Maury, who are the uh, owners of the building, we have leased it to the organisation that is not just us, it's us plus the rest of the board, mm -hmm. which is a community interest company. Okay. So while that lease is in place, while we are the owners of the building, we are not in control of the building. It's not our asset. It's an asset yes. on a 25-year lease to the community interest company. Yes. And so the money was received by the community interest company. Mm -hmm. So, but the requirement is not necessarily on a day-to-day -day basis, like how much of this or that are you doing or not doing. Our requirement is to be the organisation we 
set out okay. to be mm-hmm. with our objectives as they, as we've described them, which is to be an artist-led community interest company. And I say, I mean, with with every bit of funding as well, as I say, there, well, with, with most parts of the funding in the house, there have been um, there, there has been like project funding that's yeah. come with it, and so and so that's been um, so like some of our um, like because we have you know we have been open so apart from the studios it's like there have been exhibitions there have been talks there have been workshops and all this kind of stuff, and um, and so that's um, so that's you know so it's like there has been a program so it's like and yeah so it's like kind of like um, and the mill and our team have have done fantastic stuff. With you know, so I've created fantastic things and like worked with you know, so I just worked in like really amazing ways with that. And I think through that, I think this is what we've been. It's been a really valuable period of learning of um, you know, what are the what are the pros and cons of funding? What are the bits of funding that might contort us? What are the bits of funding that might actually align with us? How do those harmonise? So I think we've. I mean, it's just like even through this period as well, actually really learning. So it's like what are those differences? And therefore, it's just like. Therefore, how can we actually um, move towards a future where the DIY, which is normally a very precarious, very, very unsupported mm. area of, of any kind of like creativity, how can that actually become like a much more supported and healthier way of working? Mm. The funds currently, which are programme related, are uh, Heritage Lottery Fund, I think, coming to an end this year, the European one. Heritage Lottery Fund is coming to an end this year, European money around June Mm -hmm. and all of those are criteria that of course we did agree to and therefore delivered on that criteria Mm -hmm. so in the future and already now any funds that we choose to apply for is because we actually want to agree to the criteria and uphold the criteria which also includes making decisions not to go for certain funds which we've already done Mm -hmm. because we don't agree with the criteria yeah so you mentioned previously about um the values of Islington Milk, could you tell me more about have they been solidified into anything? Is there a list or is there hmm maybe pillars? (laughs) (laughs) We could do values but let's go straight to pillars. Okay, can you tell me what the pillars of Islington Mill are? (laughs) We have five. We have five, okay. And those five were identified by actually being asked a question by one of our funders. Heritage Lottery. Um, so the five are? The five we're looking at who are the people that we work with, therefore what's the project for, who, who's it serving. So when we looked at our 20 year history and what had been happening here, <coughs> the mill has a, a long history, it's 200 years old coming up, but it also has a place in the trajectory of artist spaces, whether that's in this city, places like the Hacienda or where other artist studios mm. have been, or whether it's like that whole idea of artists going into old buildings and lofts for however long. Um, and then activism, um, textiles, queer. Is that, is that the five? Have I done them in order? Artists, art, activism, queering, textile, and heritage. heritage. Yeah. Okay. So, so we, we added heritage okay. um, because I'd, up until that point, we hadn't particularly been aware of the, the heritage value of this building. We knew it was a grade two listed buildings. We knew it was an important building and was preserved uh, for that reason. 
but we hadn't had the opportunity to work with people who understand heritage um, uh, and, to, and, to, and who were able to locate this building in, within the history of architecture, in the history of mill buildings, in the history of Salford, um, which up until the Industrial Revolution you know, was, was, wasn't really a, a place at all. It was just a tiny little speck on the map and then it became this huge urban mm. centre. Um, uh, and so this, this building is absolutely emblematic of mm. that. One, just on the tangent, but I think it's worth mentioning, is that one of the things that I've always found interesting about this area is that, well, up until about five years ago, it was, it was very a bit desolate, there wasn't much here, but it's M3, so it's obviously the third most important postal zone in this entire city for some reason, which is very interesting to me because there's so little around here. But I guess that feeds into what you were saying about 200 years ago. It was very important, I guess. Mm. And, you know, and, and through, the, um, through the National Lottery Heritage Fund, um, through the funding they've given us, we've been able to um, really dig into that history for the first time. Um, one of one of um, the people who work with is Greg Thorpe did a lot of work on the um, researching the stories of the people who died in the mill uh, when one half of it collapsed one end of it collapsed mm. uh, in 1824 so the year after it was built mm. and um, Greg found that um, because a lot of them were women and children um, you know the people who worked in the factories at the time um, and a lot of them their names weren't even recorded properly mm. um, because um, it, the, the names that were recorded just were the, the names that the journalists happened to pick up at the time from whoever they asked so Greg did a, a really extensive piece of work into that and so trying to piece together from a lot of different sources who were these people and what were their stories um, and there's been lots of different. There's been lots of things that we've done as part of the heritage. Well, yeah, and, and with 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 artists who are either who are either artists that know us already or are like new to the community. So, um, I mean, um, just coming from directly to that um, that particular that research on that history, and um, that was then translated into um, this amazing um, textile piece. Um, uh, this this quilt by um, Sarah J Ford. So I think this is it. It's bringing together that what I guess what we call our deep history and our contemporary history. So um, so yeah. I mean, there's there's been I think I think uh, well we could do whole of the podcasts on yes, <laughs> like, kind of all of those projects. Yeah. yeah. And then if we're related to and and another mm. next pillar in terms of queering, which also for us would be around how do we take that which up until now by many has been assumed as a status quo or a normal mm -hmm. including that sentence let's go back to normal and mm -hmm. what we definitely don't want to be doing is going back to normal because normal was <coughs> great and not healthy and definitely yeah. didn't include everybody at, at, at all mm -hmm. is um, therefore um, how do we ask questions and explore things that lead to different practices and that's the activism it. So we've just, in more detail there, we've covered heritage, queering and activism. Then there was art. 
as artists. Arts and artists, yeah. I mean, but I think that's in its that's in its wider sense as, yeah. as well, because we're also talking about you know culture of the DIY, um, creativity, yeah. leading with creativity, and also connection to just like you know the history of um, artists taking over spaces mm-hmm. or like occupying spaces, and mm-hmm. and then again just like bringing it back round to what are those. Well, the status quo of like those structures, the systems, and shaky foundations that mm. have been the status quo. So it's so I think they are um, they're all interlinked, mm-hmm. really. Um, and practice and process mm. as part of artistic practice, but also as community activism, as kind of community leadership, as organisational structure for a building. Mm. Um, you know, literally weaving it together, as as artists do, as textile artists do, as queer people do, as activists do. And so the fifth one was textiles. Was it textiles? Textiles, uh, in that this was this was a cotton spinning mill. So yeah. its its story begins with textiles, um, uh, and and that story continues right up to today, where we have, you know, a whole range of different textile artists mm. that work here. Artists, makers, designers who work with textiles. So whether that's the family gorgeous, we would class the drag family gorgeous. Mm-hmm. We would kind of put them in, in amongst many of those. Yeah. Um, but we would also consider them textiles as it's part of, part of their media as well as performance. They might consider themselves performers, artists. We mm-hmm. would consider them textile performer artists. Okay. And you're coming from a textile background as well. Uh, I originated in a textile background. Yeah. So they're not individual standalone. Elements, yeah. as you can see, sometimes we're sort of fumbling a bit because they actually all hang together. Yeah, one informs the other. Even art in itself is huge. Can we broaden yeah. artist mm-hmm. as an idea yeah. or arting? So we think that's good. Call it's the activity. I feel like activism has got a very specific yeah. meaning in people's most people's heads now, which is political activism. Mm-hmm. But it could mean any kind of activism. It could mean just doing things. Activating mm. space, activating, yeah. mm. activating thought, mm. activating conversation, mm. and, and and artists being the you know the people who originally began to repurpose and reactivate industrial buildings like mm. this, um, mm. you know, beginning in New York in the fifties and like then sixties, mm. you know, finding a new purpose for places that no one cared about anymore, mm. um, places that had lost their purpose. Yeah. So, you know, that's a form of activism. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of those artists were, were just, you know, occupying that space mm. outside of any kind of structures. Mm-hmm. So that is the pillars, which with the handy alliteration are more about the past of Islington Mill. So the pillars are representations of the past, but also the present. There's another alliteration. So pillars, P for past and present. As we had discussed in the previous podcast on Modelling Queer Utopias, there's also five elements to the project of Modelling Queer Utopias. Could you take me through them? Bearing in mind that we have talked about them in the original podcast, but we can expand on them a lot here because now there's three more people who can add to that conversation as well. Hmm. Shall I quickly go through them? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they are about you know, how we live and work in the space as a community and as a space. So that's where they originated, like looking at the kind of practicalities of how to do things well beyond just providing a, a building, mm-hmm. um, organisational structures, but how we operate in our day to day. So um, they, they are food, sleep, uh, connection, sex, 
something in that love, perhaps, uh, communication and playful practice. And that within us, again, within us as the four of us, but also within our wider community, people explore those in different ways. Mm -hmm. So in its simplest form, we'll just check in with each other and ask about those things and just notice if they're going well or not. Are we sleeping well? Are we eating well? Mm -hmm. But in a, a bigger, more forward-thinking sense, it's like how can we provide for that to be better for not just us, but this community at large as we move forward? I mean, maybe I could add to this, like, where that also, how the elements followed on from their pillars. Because mm. the pillars were something that we were exploring as we were, you know, as we were, like, um, just trying to categorise, um, categorise ourselves within a funding bid. I mean, so I think this is because we've, because it's, because we've always, like, explored lots of, because we've never been, um, like, you know, just, we've never been purely artist studios, mm. even though it's just like kind of that's what makes up a large portion of the building. But it's, but I'd say that, um, so that I think that was the first time we'd started to go, um, okay, what's the, who's, who's here? How do they work? If it's not just art, what is it? And how do those interconnect together? And so I think that that was really around the people and the practice and the activity and maybe. And this is when we started to look at, okay, as I said, well, beyond the work and the activity, you know, a real part of our core and our values is, say, actually, it's like, how do we live and be together as well? Mm. So this is where the element started to come out, and especially because, you know, one of, like, the main space that is being, um, like, developed at the moment is they, their live-work spaces. And so we are actually going into a new era for, say, actually, as I say, you know, living as well. So this is where we started to... Um, like delve deeper into well, it's like what are those you know we've got these elements of practice and work then what are those elements for living like and so so I think that's where it like followed on and um, and so just but with that same approach as well you know it's like how can you look at something in like sort of the macro in a day to day of you know have you slept well have you have you eaten well are you feeling connection etc um, to like the expansive. So the living the values, mm -hmm. one of which, in fact two, is there's a, there's, a, there's a recent one that's emerged which is obvious kindness. And one that we've had for quite a while is actually taking care and it is on the agenda of many people. And what we're wishing to do is really put that into practice, away from just on the paper, let's all take care and be mm -hmm. less stressful. We really want to do that and make it happen and put that into reality. Mm. So the taking care means taking care and being kind to self and each other and and really care for by asking those questions. The theory is, our belief is, that if, if we actually do look after food, sustenance, sleep, rest, love, care, sex, communication and playful practice, we can dispel a number of things, including the myth of the miserable, suffering, unkind genius mm. <laughs> and trust that actually when we are well in the space of well-being and healthy that create creativity creation emerges mm. um, which we have seen over and over again that when you take the pressure out mm. that doesn't mean you haven't got um, you have the passion, mm. and there can be a, a, a there can be a sort of what is it the healthy pressure? I don't like the word particularly. Someone was talking the other day. Hmm? It's, it's kind of like a really like it really yeah a, a friction that is creative. Mm. Mm -hmm. Then 
it will emerge, you don't need to put pressure on the outside with the date and the deliverable yeah. and all of that, because mm. actually that strangles, and quite often it means people are doing things very, very quickly, and then the failure isn't an enjoyable one. Mm -hmm. I'm quite interested in your theories of communication. Could you expand on that a bit? I know we will probably do, we will do our own podcast. Hopefully it'll be the next one, actually, number three after this. We'll cover this more in depth. But I think um, right now, could you just expand on it a little bit and tell us a bit more? Yeah, yeah. I think one uh, thing relating to a little discussion we had in the break before is about can communication happen or what does it take for communication to be one of power with rather than power over? Mm -hmm. So what we do, and I particularly have brought to it, is noticing how in the current habitual way we communicate with ourselves and one another, what within that is liberating and what actually is limiting, what is helpful, what is hindering, what is motivating, what is demotivating. Okay. And what in the current use of language are actually the, the tools and the means to upkeep systems of hierarchy, supremacy, patriarchy. Mm -hmm. What in language is coercive? Mm -hmm. yeah. rather than inviting and requesting yeah. what is divisive yeah. um, and where do we inadvertently maybe without even wanting to polarise yeah. so in the communication we're looking quite specifically at what kind of vocabulary do we choose to use with ourselves and one another in order to have a liberating environment where people feel safe and trusted mm -hmm including putting forward a clumsy idea mm -hmm. or an idea that somebody might call clumsy mm. but any idea if you like without judgment mm. so without going any further into the detail we're really taking care of the vocabulary we choose to use and choose is the sort of absolute premise of it that we're coming out of responsibility and choice rather than coercion yes. and have to and obedience mm -hmm. that's quite interesting especially from my point of view as somebody who makes podcasts and is very interested in, and invested in conversationalism and thinking about, I did ask you a question earlier, which I ended it with yes, which is a very leading question to lead with. But I know because we, previous to recording this this afternoon, we have been talking about this. So I do have a little bit of, I have been a bit prepped in how to lead this conversation to the areas that we want to talk about. But that is very very interesting and yeah i look forward to doing a full podcast with you about that and so endeth a bit abruptly episode two of islington mill and but i thought that was a good place to end it because as i've mentioned in the run-up um Episode three of Islington Mill and will be a head-to-head -head interview between myself and Rivka Rubin, who you heard there at the end of this part of episode two. And I'm going to be speaking to them about upwording and communication and language and all that lovely stuff, which I also did mention in the interview itself. I didn't want Rivka to give me too much information on the communication aspect of Islington Mill's Elements and Pillars because I wanted to keep that for a single episode of the podcast itself, which will be episode number three coming out at the end of next month. So keep your earballs peeled for that one. That will be coming up as usual on the Spotify stream and also on Podbean, where you can find me as The Nihilist. T-H-E-N-I-A-L-L-I-S-T. So... For now, that was a lot to take in, but I think that was a good 
overall view of where Islington Mill is coming from, where it's at and where it is very hopefully heading to in 2022. I'll be back next month with episode number three. I'm not going to tell you what it is because I've just spent a couple of minutes doing that. And in the meantime, I'll bid you adieu, mon amis. Yeah. Goodbye.